All right, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 9. Pick up at verse 9 and read down through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded by persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises." For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the title of the message this morning is Things That Accompany Salvation. Things That Accompany Salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And I pray as we look into the word of God this morning that we quiet our our hearts before you and give attendance to your word. And might we have ears to hear and hearts to obey. And I pray that we'd apply the truths that we hear today to our own hearts and lives and be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you. And Lord, we do pray that we be any in our midst this morning who do not have that assurance of salvation through Christ and Him alone, that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and bring them to that place of repentance and faith in Him who alone can save. So have your own way and may you be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage, of course, is really built on the preceding verses. In the preceding verses, we talked about how you know it's we are commanded to leave the first principles or the beginnings or the foundations of salvation and to grow in our walk with the Lord. And uh, and and there's a danger of some. There's a danger of them of some that they weren't. They weren't following through with their salvation. In other words, it wasn't genuine. They had just they were just dabbling in it or tasting it. And 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 he said, "Look, if you turn away, if you turn away from it, uh, it's impossible to renew it." You know. And, and so, uh, but he said, "You know, just like the earth receives rain and brings forth fruit for the, those by whom it is dressed." Uh, we are to take the Word of God into our heart and receive it and apply it to our life. You know, Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32, you know, the verse 30 says there was many that believed on Him. But then He says this, 
Then said Jesus, those Jews who believe on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So when a person is saved, there is fruit is expected by God to demonstrate that we have new life in Christ. Or as the scripture says here, there ought to be things that accompany salvation. That accompanies salvation. The interesting thing is this word accompany is the Greek word echo, where we get our word echo. What is an echo? You know, the word echo really means to adhere or to cling to. And an echo is a reflection of its source. That's what it is. It's a reflection of its source. And so our lives should be a reflection of of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our source of life. If we have new life in Christ, our lives should be an echo or a reflection of Him. There ought to be things that accompany or that echo reflect salvation. And that's His challenge here to these Hebrew Christians in that church at Jerusalem. And so I want to notice several things. First of all, our, our lives, should there should be things that accompany uh, salvation in our daily lives of service. If you notice in verse 10, he says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. The word work here speaks of acts or deeds or things done. It could be acts or deeds of kindness. You know, good works that are done, not for the praise of men, but out of the heart of love, for the Lord and His creatures. You know, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You know, even, in, you know, and sometimes we probably don't think about this, but in everyday life, our, our work should glorify Christ. Ephesians 6, verses 6, uh, 5 through 8 says this, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, According to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Now let me bring that down to modern day terms. Employees, be obedient to your employers, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. For with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So even our everyday work ought to reflect the glory of God. Uh, it ought to reflect that we are His child, uh, that we do our, our work to please the Lord, not just to please men, not just to get a paycheck, but to glorify Christ. And so that's the idea of work. It's acts or good deeds done. The word labor here he's in verse 10 he says, your labor of love. The word labor speaks of intense labor united with trouble. So it's labor mixed with trouble. So this implies that there were some hardships uh, that, they, that, that these people that were enduring because of the right choices they made and the labor that they were giving that they were doing and choices they made to please God, it came at a cost of denying oneself. And, and you know, it wasn't the easy way out of that the world has to offer. You know, there are a lot of things that 
that you and I could do to make life easier for us. But we'll compromise our Christian testimony. There's a lot of a lot of benefits the government will give you if you're willing to take it. You know, many people accept government welfare, but you're or compromise your morals and you know, or make it easier on your taxes, just don't get married. Just live together. People do that. They don't get married because of tax benefits. I remember when I, I first realized this when we were in Maine, and we had some family who had family outside the church, and there was this couple that lived together for 16 years. And, you know, they, they, you know, I didn't even know they weren't married for a while after I got there, and I found out they weren't married, you know. And he worked a job, and uh, she stayed home. But, but anyway, I forget how many children they had. But uh, and and one of the one of the sisters said the only reason they don't get married is because they'd have to pay some more taxes because of the tax breaks they get. You know, I knew a preacher of whom it was said that he justified welfare as a way to get his tax monies back because I followed him at the church where he pastored. I told them that if they couldn't keep the church doors open without government welfare, they need to shut the doors. I told them that before they voted me in. I said, you need to shut the doors. You know, biblically, taxes are a debt we owe to the state. We're to pay it. Now, you know, we could talk about you know, justifiable taxes and all that. But they are taxes. That, uh, taxes, biblically, are a debt we owe to the state. Or we owe to the state, and we're to pay it. But the word here, again, speaks of labor and tents. So they were, under, they were under some pressure or some affliction, but they were laboring under that. You know, Paul spoke, spoke of this kind of thing in 2 Corinthians 6, 5. He says, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. In 2 Thessalonians 3.8 said, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. In other words, he, he worked. You know, he, you know, he, he ministered during the day, and he worked day and night to provide for his needs so that he could minister. It was a sacrifice that he made. It was toil. It was labor united with trouble. But he says, says of them, which ye have showed toward his name. So they did this. They were doing this uh, to demonstrate or to prove that they were God's people. The word showed here means to show or demonstrate, to prove whether by arguments or acts. So, so by their, by their uh, lives, they were showing that they loved the Lord. Uh, the word minister means to supply food and the necessities of life, to relieve, relieve one's necessities. So these people had ministered to the needs of others, and even it, 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 was, it was acts of good deed, uh, of kindness and good deeds, and, it was, and they had labored uh, under uh, uh, toil and trouble. And so uh, they, were, they were active and doing it to show or demonstrate by their livelihood that they loved the Lord. You know, we have a written record of this. 
in Acts chapter 5 and 6. And you have the great needs that come upon about the church there in Jerusalem as a result of the many of the Jews in Jerusalem had, had converted to Christ. And so there was loss of employment. There was loss of inheritance. There was loss of family support. There were loss of positions in society. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter, I think it's chapter 5, that many of the priests believed on the Lord. And I am, I am certain that they lost their positions as priests. On top of that, there was a great dearth or a famine in that area. Acts chapter 11 tells us about it. And other churches sent relief. So the church in Jerusalem has been and was involved in ministering to those in need. And, and, and the writer here is reminding them that, look, God is not unrighteous to forget. God doesn't forget. God remembers. God's righteous. You know, I, was, I was talking with Brother John this morning about, you know, him and I were talking about we, we, how we forget names. And you know, we, we forget a lot of things. But God doesn't forget. He's got a perfect mind. He doesn't forget. He remembers your service. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 40. Uh, not, yeah. <laughs> chapter 10, verse 40. Yeah, my mind doesn't always work right. Chapter 10, verse 40, and verse, through verse 42 it says, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. You know, God remembers all these things. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. God doesn't forget your work and labor of love, which you do show. These people had ministered to the needs of God's people. You know, and sometimes we don't even realize. We may not even realize. You know, in Matthew 25, verses, verses 31 through 46, you know, it talks about when the Lord comes and the, and the king is going to sit on his throne and is going to divide the sheep from the goats. Verse 33 tells us, and the king's going to say in verse 34, Say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? When saw we thee, sick, or prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You've done it unto me. You see, a, a mark of genuine salvation, something that accompanies salvation is, you will give yourself to minister to the needs of others. You give yourself to minister to the needs of others. John bore testimony of this in 1 John chapter 3. And verses 16 through 19, when he says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? 
My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. You see, God will remember our ministry to those in need. He will not forget your service that is done in His name. And this is something that accompanies salvation. Second thing we see here is a confident hope in the work of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 11 of Hebrews 6 again, And we desire that any one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now the word full assurance means a most certain confidence. A most certain confidence. You know, we can have complete confidence of a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and the basis of that confidence is the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf. That's the basis of it. You know, this assurance is the fruit of resting in the finished work of Christ. You know, so like this, so there's a job. You know, think about it. Maybe there's a job you're going to help with. Something you need done. So you're going to help with it. And you were concerned about this, so, so you go to do it or help with it. And you get there, and you find it's already done. It's finished. So you can now rest that that work is done. You don't have to worry about it anymore because it's done. It's finished. Now, that's kind of a humble illustration, but, but that's the way it is with Christ. The work for our redemption is done. It's complete. We just need to rest in him. To worry about whether I'm saved or not is kind of like saying, Lord, did you really complete my salvation? Lord, was your sacrifice really sufficient for my sin? The answer is yes. It is. It was. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt in full. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So really what we have is, Jesus took our sin and he gave to us his righteousness. That is the righteousness of God. That makes me just as righteous as God is. Now, it's not because of what I've done. It's because of what he has done. Because of what he has finished. And when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. You see, we can have a confident hope in the work of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1.3, Who being the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And I like what it says in chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. But this man, and Jesus Christ is a man. He's also God, but he is a man. But this man, 
because he continueth ever, in other words, he is eternal, he hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That is, he can save them completely that come unto God by him. You know, what the writer here is doing in chapter 6 is he's reiterating what he spoke of in chapter 3 and verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. You and I ought to have complete confidence in our salvation because it is completed. It's a completed work. It's a completed transaction. The day I repented of my sins and asked Christ to be my Savior, it was a completed transaction on my behalf. And he says in verse 11 again, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. In other words, we ought to show this. That word show there means to demonstrate, to prove by arguments or acts. In other words, you prove your words by what you say in witness and testimony every day with speech that honors the Lord. Your speech should prove that you believe you belong to God. That you are a child of God. God forbid that we would say things that dishonor our Lord. We ought to be able to give an answer for the confidence that we have in the Lord. That you show to the world because you don't live in fear of the present chaos. When the man-made pandemic. There are many living in fear. And for good reason. Because they don't know. They don't have that confidence in the Lord. They're fearful for the, for the future. And so we ought to show. And we ought to have this confidence, this assurance, this hope. He says, unto the end. You know, no matter what happens. You know, Mark 13, 13 says, And ye should be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Second Thessalonians 1.4 So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches for your faith, patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. In Acts chapter 14 verse 22 Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. You know, there, there, are, there is a cost to serving the Lord. But they endured it. We ought to show by our lives and by our enduring and being, having this full assurance of hope unto the end that we are, we have this confidence in the Lord. And one of the ways we do that is by enduring sound doctrine. You know, 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they seat themselves, teachers having itching ears. You know, many show their real colors through not enduring sound preaching. 
They want sensationalism. They want stories. They want entertainment. They want something that's easy to accept. That don't require real discipline or discipleship. But Jesus said in Luke 14, 26 and 27, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. But see, one with full assurance will not turn away from his Lord even if it is difficult. And that's the challenge that the writer here is giving to these Hebrews. Look, in difficult times, if you're really the Lord, you won't turn away. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus was saying, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And of course then in verse 63, he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He's not talking about literal, you know, the, the Catholic teaching of transubstantiation and so on and so forth and and you know it actually the the elements actually turning into flesh and blood and you know cannibalistic kind of idea he wasn't he wasn't referring to that but he was talking about look your life spiritual life comes from me if you're not willing to follow me then you don't have any life in my life in you and there was many that went away and followed him no more and he says to the 12 Will you go away also? Peter answered him, Lord, notice this, to whom shall we go? You know, this just wasn't Peter's testimony. This is a testimony of the others. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, we, we, we understand that the other disciples, we, we know from John 1, 41, that Andrew had told Peter, we found the Messiah, the Christ. And Nathaniel in John 1, 49 says, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. You know, when a person is truly born again and adopted into the family of God, there is no other to whom we can go or would go. You know, I used to get into discussions with Mennonites who believed you could lose your salvation. You know, this is interesting. I've never met one that thought he did. And, and I, you know, go through Romans chapter 8 talking about all the things that cannot separate from the love of God. And this one guy said, yeah, but I can se- separate myself. I said, yeah, you could. Maybe. But did you ever want to? Well, no. You know, I haven't ever met anybody yet that wanted to. Now, I've met some people that turned away. But they went out from us because they were not of us. Judas went away because he was never. He was never a disciple of the Lord. See, when you have assurance of life of God or life of life eternal through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom shall we go? So there's confident hope. I want to notice a third thing. 
that accompanies salvation, a firm but patient waiting for the promise of his coming. Notice verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word slothful means slow, sluggish, or indolent, or dull. The word faith here means believing or having conviction. You know, it's a a certainty of what is promised will come. That's the idea. And of course, the word patient means perseverance, especially as shown in bearing troubles and ills. Now, you know, we believe that the next thing to happen on the Lord's time clock or timetable is the rapture of the saints, spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And there are some who would accuse us of using the rapture of the saints as an escape goat or a way out of any possible hardships and trials that may come upon us in the world, you know, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, they would say that, you know, we really don't care about the world and we don't care about the world problems and we're just here waiting for the Lord to come for us. You know, some of that condemnation rhetoric may be justified. However, the truth of the matter is this. Number one, there is a price to pay if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about the majority of, quote, professing Christianity, unquote. Who give lip service to Jesus, but deny him by the way they live. You know, Jesus said in John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. In Luke 16, 15, he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, before God knoweth you their hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, when preachers are highly esteemed among men, it really makes me wonder about them. When a guy can get his name engraved in Hollywood Walk of Fame, the star, uh, it really makes me question his salvation. And is highly esteemed among men. And that, of course, is Billy Graham. No, he says, if you were of the world, the world was love's own, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You know, we are not assured that we will not suffer personal affliction before our Lord's turn. We're not assured of that. In fact, there is much of persecution in many parts of the world, and there is persecution or hardships that we endure even in this country. You know, the, 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 the attempt of compromise is more subtle many times than outright persecution. Second Timothy 3... 3 says, yeah, or 3.12, Yea, and all that live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so there is a cost. And we are concerned about a world and the people around us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, the reality is the world hates its own. Look what our world leaders and the elites of this world are doing to the average person. 
or wanting to do the average person. Like I said on Thursday night, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, wanting to design this place in outer space where he could send all the factory workers. So we could have their utopia and their, like Yellowstone National Park on Earth that they, the rich people could enjoy. You see, it's the people of the world that file and destroy their own. Look what they've done with this man-made pandemic. And it is continuing to spread with their vaccines. The reality is we do care about our fellow man. And we also do believe in using our natural resources wisely. Christians are not to be wasteful people. God gave us to have dominion over the earth. You know, I laugh when people talk about animal rights and then getting the veterinarian to put their animal down. To me, it's sickening. You know, I grew up on a farm, so I've been around animals all my life. We have killed animals. I have, I have killed animals that were dying. And then I have had the, ex- the, the experiences of witnessing the humane way of euthanizing animals. Let me give you an illustration. When I was still on the farm, we had a calf. It was about three months old. And it was sick, so the owner, I, wasn't, I was just working there. The owner called the vet, had the veterinary out, so he had him check out this calf, what well, had some kind of heart problem. And he said, uh, you may as well kill it. It's not going to live. It's just suffering. And he said, do you want me to give it a shot to kill it, or you want to just shoot it? Now, the humane people would say, oh, you need to give it a shot. You need to give it a shot. He said, just give it a shot. So he gave it a shot. About a half hour later, I walked through the shed where the calf pen was, and I could hear this calf moaning. Moaning. Laying over there in the pen, moaning. And the boss came through, and he said, he said, that calf, he said, go get your gun and shoot it. And I went and got my gun and shot it, of which most people would think would be cruel, and in Within a minute, that thing was no more moaning. You know, it, it quit moaning the minute I shot the thing. See, the reality is the world doesn't know. The world's foolish. So, but we have a firm, patient waiting for the coming of the Lord. We, 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 we're not looking for an escape goat. We're just waiting for his promise. And I want you to notice the basis of God's promise to us in verses 13 through 20. And he gives us an example in, of Abraham in verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So we have this example of God's promise made to Abraham. This, this promise is made in Genesis chapter 12 
where he said, I will make these, thy seed as the sand of the, earth, uh, the sand of the sea, and will multiply thy seed, and in na- all nations of the earth shall be blessed in thee. And, but the promise was not obtained until Isaac came, Genesis chapter 24, some 25 years later. 25 years later. And it is still being fulfilled to this day. In Genesis 22, 15 through 18, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time, and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, but because thou hast done this thing, hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. There are 15, over 15 million Jews in the world today. Direct descendants of Abraham. And there are millions more who have the faith of Abraham. Which he calls his spiritual seed. In fact, in Genesis, or Galatians 3, 7-9, through 9, it says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. See, God made a promise to Abraham. You know what? He's still fulfilling that promise in you and I. And, of course, in Israel. But we see here that his promise to us is based on two immutable things. Verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, the word immutable means fixed. It's unalterable and the idea is it cannot be changed. Cannot be changed. And we see two things here. The mutability of his counsel, verse 17, says, Wherein God more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So his counsel, you know, God's word cannot be changed. You know, there are some things that God cannot do. You know, I heard a story one time that, you know, a, a guy preacher saying that when they were in that when they were in seminary, they asked the professor, "Hey, can God p- make a rock so big he cannot lift it?" You know, one of the things God does not do is he does not contradict himself. You know, there are some things God cannot do. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, Remember the four of the things of old? For I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that are yet to be done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. My counsel shall stand. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 
You know, Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We have a word that will not change. God's word will not change. He cannot. He cannot lie. He cannot contradict himself. So the mutability of his counsel. Secondly, we see the mutability of our refuge, which is Christ. You know, this is the basis of our confidence. This is our basis of our patiently waiting, is the mutability of our refuge, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18 through 20 says, that by two mutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, our hope, our, our expectation is that our refuge, which is Christ, he will bring us into the presence and full fellowship of God the Father. That's our expectation. That's what we are waiting for. In other words, He's going to bring us to heaven, the abode of God, where we would dwell in His presence, where the former things are all passed away and all things are new. You know that is that not our hope? That's what is set before us. Verse 18 says, the hope set before us. That word set means it is appointed, it is destined, it is used of those things by which any appointment are destined to be done or attained by anyone. You see, it is an anchor that is both sure and steadfast. It has already been accomplished for us because our forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus. You know, why did why did he say just Jesus? Again, I think every word of God is important. He didn't say Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus Christ. He said Jesus. You know what I think he's letting us know? That Jesus, the man, though he was God, yet he was a man. Because he was a man, he can enter for us. He can enter on the behalf of man. Because he was a man. See, Jesus is his man name. I was telling the young men this morning that in Sunday school that you know, you know, there, are, there are three people I know with the name Andrew. And if they were all together and I said Andrew, I'm not identifying which Andrew I'm talking about. But if I say Andrew Englehart, immediately you know which Andrew I'm talking about. If I say the name Jesus, I'm identifying a man. But if I'd say Jesus Christ, I'm identifying the God-man. But see, he says here, even Jesus, the man, so he entered as a man. He, he's still a man, he, although he's still God. He's still a man. He has entered for us. He has entered as our forerunner, that perfect man who became sin for us. See, he is our eternal high priest. He's after the order of Melchizedek, who Melchizedek didn't have a beginning or an ending, the Bible tells us in Genesis. And see, the best part about all this is, it's immutable. It cannot be changed. 
It cannot be undone. He is our forerunner that has already entered for us. He has made the way open for us. You see, the fact that Christ entered for us guarantees the certainty that we who are trusting in Him for salvation will one day enter into the very presence of God. It cannot be changed. My salvation can't be lost. It rests in the immutable Son of God. It cannot be changed. You know, it kind of changes the way I think about John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, that can't be changed. It can't be undone. It changes the way I look at Romans 8, verses 31 to 34, really this whole end of this chapter. What shall they then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? Who's going to charge you as lost or undone? Who's going to charge you? Because our forerunner has already entered in for us on our behalf. And it's immutable. It cannot be changed. So who's going to charge you? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. See, that's the basis of God's promise to us. And we're to wait. We're to patiently wait. For the fulfillment of that promise. A promise that cannot be changed. You see, these are the things that accompany salvation. A life of service. A confident hope in the work of Christ. And a patient waiting for the fulfillment of His promise. All based upon the fact that his promise cannot be changed. You know, that's enough to make a Presbyterian chat. You know, we have, we are privileged to have the assurance that we have in Christ. 
Do you have that assurance today? Is your confidence resting in Him? Or are you resting in something that you have done? See, it's all about what Jesus did for us. All about what has been done for us. Are you resting in that? Or are you resting in something you're doing? You know, what he has done cannot be changed. And we can have confidence in that.